Hello and welcome to Homestead Hens and Honey, a beekeeping, chicken keeping and general homesteading podcast. I'm your host Gemma and today I would like to share everything that happened with my beehives, my bee colonies last year. So my previous episode I talked about goals I had set for myself in 2022, what I achieved, what I didn't achieve, I talked a little bit about how I fell victim of the infamous chicken math. I gave some personal updates and then I promised that I would be back, and I am, (laughs) with hive news. Now this is a whole year of everything I did with my bees in one episode. So grab a mug of tea or coffee, maybe a nice glass of wine, a gin and tonic, whatever is your tipple of choice, and settle in to hear all about how things went in my apiary last year. So, what did I start with? I went into that winter with three colonies, two Langstroths and one top bar. But I didn't have a lot of hopes that the top bar colony would make it. They they were very small. They had a great build-up and then suddenly as we got closer to fall, they got smaller and smaller and I wasn't pleased with their number or their honey stores. And sure enough, as I predicted, I actually lost that colony quite early in the first few months of winter. Of my two Langstroth colonies, one was going into their second year. It was Ohio Saskatraz mixed genetics. And so I was optimistic that they'd remain strong and survive the winter. Second year colonies have a vastly better chance of overwintering success than first year due to build-up of resources such as comb. The other colony was formed when I actually merged two wheat colonies together in the fall of 2021. And I was really worried about that one. I was worried that it would not make it. Much to my surprise, my second year colony failed uh, during that dicey time of year when the days warm up but the nights are still cold. This is really dangerous in general for our colonies here in Ohio because the winter bees are dying off in greater numbers but the next generation might not have emerged. If the queen's laying, the brood nest needs to be maintained at 94 degrees Fahrenheit and that puts a huge amount of stress on the winter bees. And so I suspect that I lost this colony because they couldn't maintain an ab- appropriate brood temperature um, and the queen did not lay as a result of that. Or perhaps it's the other way around. The queen didn't start laying when they needed her to, despite the fact that they really did need this next generation and so they, they died. Um, My merged colony, the one that I was so worried about, actually came through. Now they were small, but they made it. So once we were in 2022 and it was warm enough to do so, I was aggressively feeding them sugar syrup, uh, one one, so one part sugar, one part water, uh, you know, as soon as it was safe to do so. Now what I'm going to do is a little different to how I usually do things. Previously, um, trying to sum up a year of beekeeping is challenging and I found the easiest way to do it was to break it down by hive 
and then go through everything I did with that particular hive and the colony within it uh, up until now. So I'm going to start with my top bar hive. So it was Tuesday, April 19th, 2022. And I drove out to Queenwright Colonies to pick up my package of honeybees, which came with a marked New World Carniolan Queen. I had not had a Carniolan before, and I was excited to see what these genetics would produce. I was very, very pleased when I got there that they were offering to treat packages with oxalic acid before I brought them home. And so I paid for uh, vaporization. It was $12. And this was great because this saved me the time of getting all of my vaporization equipment and safety equipment together, which is always a pain in the butt. So I figured well worth the 12 bucks. Now, I had kept some of the honey frames from the top bar hive in storage. And at this point, I put them back right before I installed the package. What I didn't count on, though, is that the freezing weather had actually made the old wax quite brittle and three of the comb broke completely free of the top bars during my installation. I did my best to reattach them um, as I really wanted them to have access to the stores. There was still honey, but it is really difficult. Um, when you go through a book or a website and it's telling you, you know, make a fabric sling and or use large elastic bands and, uh, you know, get, it's so easy. Just get them on there and it will hold the comb perfectly to the top and everything will be great. No, it's really fiddly. I don't know if I'm just not dexterous enough, but I really struggled to get that comb to be secure enough against the top bar that I didn't have to worry that it was going to fall off and crush bees. I think one thing I learned was I need to have very large, very strong elastic bands on hand. Um, and so that is on my uh, purchase list for this spring. But I did the best I could making some fabric slings and attaching the comb where I could. It was cold when I installed this package. This it happens every year. The packages become available when it's still pretty chilly here in Ohio. Uh, it was about 30 degrees Fahrenheit and there were intermittent snow flurries. So I was concerned about the package. But as I always do, you know, I got them installed um, and then I wrapped my top bar hive and hoped for the best. And thankfully, while I was worrying, the bees were getting to work. And by April 24th, they'd actually repaired almost all of the damaged comb and were building fresh wax. By May 12th, this colony had eight frames of brood and were building lots of fresh comb. There was so much activity and the population was booming. May 23rd, I noticed a dramatic increase in drone brood. There were 10 total frames of brood and then two frames of pollen and honey. May 30th, we were up to 12 frames of brood with good pollen stores and one solid frame of honey. June 14th, the colony was still expanding rapidly. I added four additional bars for them to build on. June 16th, I was back in there. It was just a huge, booming, healthy colony 
lots of drone comb being built and there were some queen cups without eggs in them so this to me is now an indication that I was on swarm watch they had 28 bars in use on this date there were 12 brood four honey and drone comb so it was honey at the top of the frame and then drone cells at the bottom three frames of honey and nine frames that were being built. They were at various stages of completion. June 17th, I went back in so I could add some empty bars to the brood nest to give them a bit more room and to hopefully prevent the swarming instinct from occurring. June 24th, the new bars that I put in on the 17th have comb on them. I added an additional two bars into the brood nest and I moved some frames to open up the brood area. So some of that newly drawn wax comb that they hadn't started filling with honey, I moved into the brood nest so the queen would have even more space to lay. I was still seeing queen cups on the edges of some of the comb at this point, but none had eggs in them. So I feel like I was successfully staying ahead of any swarming instinct. July 13th, I spent over an hour removing crosscomb. So as a reminder, crosscomb is basically any comb built off the frame, usually connecting multiple frames together or even connecting them to the sides of the hive. And it's more of an issue in top bar colonies because you're allowing them to draw that natural cone with no foundation. Um... I think, yes, so I took four full frames of honey to extract um, because they were so chock-a-block with uh, stores. And then I added two more empty bars to the brood nest. August 5th, I went back in and they'd made even more cross comb. It was even worse this time. It took me a long time to repair and I got very sticky doing so because mostly they were uh, attaching the honey frames to the sides of the hive. I took an additional four frames of honey um, and replaced those with empty bars. I did a mite test, which read as two to 300, which is under the treatment threshold. And really, I just was sort of amazed at how huge this colony was. It had been booming from day one. September 15th, um, I closed the bottom of the hive into the winter position and I did a mite test but I forgot to write down the results in my journal so all I can say is I know that the test came back as under the treatment threshold because I did not prepare any treatments for this colony. October 6th, I rearranged just a little bit of the comb to make sure that all of the honey was on one side of the brood nest. And I was still seeing drones at this time. So the population was huge and it was strong enough that it hadn't kicked out all of the boys. At this stage, I wrapped the colony to give them extra insulation. November 5th, we had a really warm day and I saw lots of activity at the entrance as the girls came out to potty and refresh themselves. December 30th was a really warm day. And I was very upset to open this colony and find that they were dead. And there was a lot of honey left. And almost immediately, 
I could see exactly what had happened because on the little cluster of bees that remained, I could see Varroa mites. And when you have a healthy colony and you're seeing Varroa mites on the adult bees, you know your infestation is bad. So seeing it like this, I immediately knew that it was a mite infestation that had gone undetected and had clearly caused the death of the colony. I actually, I don't usually do this with dead outs, but I actually collected a big pile of the dead bodies and did an alcohol wash mite test on them to see what the levels were. And the levels were insane. Like I didn't even count how many mites there were because there were so many. It was the kind of level that if I had an, a living colony that had this many mites in it, I would have to euthanize that colony before it became a danger to all of the colonies around it. It was just a mite bomb waiting to happen. So this was extremely disappointing for me um, and confusing because I had been doing my mite test. So where had I gone wrong? And I'll talk about this a little bit more later, but I think I might have figured out what the issue was um only time's gonna tell but this was also upsetting because i loved this colony um the queen was a champ her laying pattern was gorgeous they were really nice to work with they were docile they were non-reactive they were just so much fun they built up so well you know finding that they had passed was absolutely gutting and I still feel a lot of guilt about it, but I do think ultimately that it was a learning experience. So moving on to my Langstroths, where I started in spring of 2022, May 23rd, I picked up four nucleus colonies from Hartville Honeybee Farm. Three were Varroa sensitive hygiene bees, or VSH for short, and one was Saskatraz. And I have to say, these are the nicest nukes I have ever had. Just bursting with bees, beautiful laying patterns from the queens, and really spectacular comb. It was just delightful. Um, some of them were actually so full that they already had swarm cells with eggs in, uh, which I knocked down and then immediately made a note that those colonies would have to be watched very carefully for swarming. So all four of these nucleus colonies were moved into 10 frame Langstroth um, hives with mostly drawn out comb. I did put some empty frames in there, but most of it, I'd say a good 80 to 90% was comb that was ready to be used. All these Langstroth hives had robber screens put on them and were either in two deep boxes or one deep and two mediums. And I immediately started offering one one syrup. So that's one part sugar to one part water. I numbered the hives from left to right for my note taking and it ended up being that the Varroa sensitive hygiene bees went into hives number one two and five. My Saskatraz colony was in hive number four 
and my overwintered colony from the previous year was hive number three. At the time that I installed the nucleus colonies, I took a peek at hive number three and I noticed that they were chimneying. And that's basically where they are using all the frames in the middle of multiple boxes and ignoring the frames off on the sides. And so to kind of combat this, I consolidated the brood frames down into the lower box and I decided to give them a new deep with um, fully drawn comb. So it was ready to go. I did notice at this time that some of the frames had pretty spotty brood patterns on them. And I made a note in my journal that this was something to keep a close eye on moving forward. So from now on, I'm going to break everything down by hive. So we'll start with hive number one. And this was a VSH Varroa Sensitive Hygiene Nuke. On May 30th, I replenished the syrup. I noted there were eggs brewed in the queen and the colony was building up well and there was already some capped honey. June 9th, I noticed there was a slowdown in the production of new comb, but they were still building a little bit. The queen was in the lower box still with a really nice laying pattern and I topped up their syrup. June 16th, I could see that they were backfilling a little. And as a reminder, backfilling is when they start storing honey or like nectar, honey in brood comb. So basically, as soon as that baby bee comes out, there's that cell available and the girls quickly fill it up with nectar. And obviously this is not something that we want. So I added a honey super, which had mostly drawn comb. And I did notice around this time that they were increasing their comb building behavior and they were still sucking down syrup. So I refilled it again. June 27th, um, I added space to the brood box via checkerboarding. So this is when you go into the brood nest and you separate some of the brood frames and between them you put in ready to go fully drawn comb. So looking down you would see brood, empty comb, brood, empty comb, brood. And this just helps with um, Increasing the brood nest area, which can help prevent swarming and also consolidates the brood nest into one box as opposed to the queen heading up because she doesn't have more, any more space to lay down there. And then she starts laying in the honey super, which is not what we want. So at this point in time, this colony was using two deep boxes and one honey super. The corners of all the brood frames were packed full of honey. And I also made a note that on this day, the colony was very reactive and defensive, possibly because of the moderate to high winds that we had. Maybe that was what was causing this behavior. July 19th, there was increased interest in the honey super, but they weren't really filling it. They were, however, much less reactive on that day, although there were two guard bees that would not leave me alone and were actually very annoying during the rest of the inspection. Um, this would actually become a theme 
with uh, this colony. I would go in and there would always be at least one bee that would be giving me the business the whole time. Uh, so on this day, I repositioned some more frames to expand the brood chamber and to increase interest in the honey super. And I made a note that, you know, uh, getting any kind of harvest from this colony was going to be very unlikely unless we had a really strong full flow. And that's not uncommon for a first year colony. And I tend to err on the side of caution. I'd rather leave them too much honey than not enough. So August 11th, they were still going really strong. I did a mite test. It was four out of 300, which is under the treatment threshold. September 8th, I was back in there doing another mite test. This time it was eight out of 300. Now, the threshold that I've always used for treatment is nine mites to 300 bees. So technically eight is just below, but I decided to treat because I've seen before how fast uh, mite infestation can get out of control in the fall. So, however, on this day, it was way too wet to apply formic acid. So I made a note to go back in as soon as the rain had ended. And I didn't get a chance to do that until September 15th, at which point I applied formic pro to the lower brood box. And the robbing guard came off at this point in time because according to the instructions, you need to have a fully open entrance during the entire course of treatment. I would need to go back in and take any remaining Formic Pro strips off on the 29th of September. September 30th, I removed the Formic Pro and I was really pleased to say that the colony looked strong and the boxes were all heavy. So stores were good and it didn't look like they had suffered uh, any damage from the Formic Acid treatment, which can be a little hard on them. October 6th, I tilted all my hives in preparation for winter. As a reminder, this is so that if there is any moisture build up in the hive, it will come down and fall out of the entrance instead of coming down and sitting at the bottom. And I started feeding on this date two one syrup. So that's two parts sugar, one part water. Uh, I sometimes call this heavy syrup and it is a, a good option if you really want to make sure that they have enough stores to get them through the winter if you're worried you know give them some 2-1 syrup. October 30th I winterized the hives and for me this means that I put a feeder tray on then a quilt box to absorb any moisture and then I put a mouse guard on the entrance and I wrapped the colony with some kind of insulation. December 30th, we had this beautiful day. And so I went to take a peek at the feeder tray. And just to be clear, when I peek in in the winter, I, I personally recommend just looking at your feeder tray. I don't like to crack the propolis seals on any of the boxes. Um, I want to keep that there. So I literally just peek in at the feeder by lifting the quilt box. And... Um, I was pleased when I went in that there was a lot of activity at the entrance, the population looked good, and actually most of the sugar, uh, the fondant and uh, winter patties that I had provided for them was untouched. But because I know how much our winters can drag on, I did add some dry sugar just to be on the safe side. 
Um, as of the 19th of January, which is when I wrote this, this colony is still alive. Hive number two, a varroa sensitive hygiene colony. May 30th, I was blown away by the laying pattern from this queen. It was just absolutely stunning. Literally one edge of the frame to another packed full of brood. Absolutely gorgeous. Unsurprisingly, the population was building super fast. It seemed really strong. I was delighted. And while I was in there, I topped up their syrup. June 9th, I'm still <laughs> writing positively in my journal about the queen's laying pattern. It, she's just going strong. It's beautiful. And they're using most of the two deeps, deep, deep boxes that I'd given them. And so I added a honey super with 50% of drawn comb. And then I topped up the syrup. June 16th, I just did a quick check. I saw that they were starting to use the honey super a little bit, but I still topped up their syrup because I really want to make sure they're nice and strong. June 27th, um, I expanded the brew chamber through the checkerboarding method that I discussed previously. And I actually took one frame of brood for hive number five, which I will discuss when we get to that hive. And I made a note that they were reactive on this day and it was a little windy again, so maybe that was why. July 19th, they were less reactive, which was a surprise because it was about 90 degrees Fahrenheit. And in my experience, the hot weather makes them kind of testy. So that was nice. There's open nectar in the honey super at this time. And I moved a few frames around, but mostly I left everything unchanged. And I made a quick note that I probably wouldn't get a honey harvest from them. And that's fine. August 11th, good population and brood but not a lot of honey. I did a mite test and I got zero out of 300. So that's excellent. September 8th, I did a mite test and I got eight out of 300. So I decided that yes, we would treat. And it's at this time that I start noticing a change. So there's less stores than they had before. And that phenomenal brood pattern that I could not stop going on about is now getting kind of spotty. I have no idea what changed in this period and I ended up taking off one of the deeps that was no longer being used. So this colony is now being reduced down to one deep box and one honey super. And I really started to worry that this colony would need uh, heavy intervention maybe even being merged with another colony if they were to survive the winter. September 15th, I go out, I apply the Formic Pro. The robin guard comes off the entrance because it has to be open during treatment. September 30th, I go out to remove this the Formic Pro and this colony is failing. There are four frames in use. The population is now tiny. They seem weak and the queen is alive, but she's not really laying. And so... I condensed them down into a nucleus colony and started feeding them 2-1 heavy syrup and really just thought that only time would tell how they're going to do. October 6th, I tilted the nucleus colony and I added more syrup. October 30th, I uh, winterized. So they got their fondant feeder, quilt box, mouse guard on the entrance and insulated with a wrap. December 30th, this colony was dead. 
lots of honey left. And for the first time ever for me, this was an equipment failure. So water somehow got in through the lid and was dripping down onto the cluster. So the inside was drenched, which is really sad. I'm not sure there's anything as sad as imagining this cluster of bees getting dripped on in the freezing temperatures. Um, So this uh, nucleus uh, colony or nucleus hive box has been retired. I'm going to take it apart, uh, probably replace the lid. Just make sure there's no other problems with it before I use it again to hopefully avoid this from happening once more. So now we're on to hive number three. This is my Ohio Saskatraz mixed genetics and it's the overwintered colony. Um, So it it started as Ohio Sask and it ended up being fully Saskatraz, which I will discuss as we work our way through this. So May 30th, I go in, there's eggs, there's brood, there's a queen. They're still slow. This colony did come out kind of small um, after a hard winter, but they are showing improvement. And I put syrup in for them to give them added support. June 9th, there is an improvement of the laying pattern, but it's still not great. Um, I was considering boosting the population by taking brood from one of the healthier colonies. And if there's no improvement by the nectar flow, I'm thinking maybe this colony needs to be requeened or merged. That I'm still feeding syrup at this time. So June 16th, I go in and this brood pattern is still spotty as hell and they're backfilling. And I just decided, no, it's not doing great. I think it, it's not going to have any chance of uh, building up in time to survive the next winter. So I decided that I'm going to requeen this colony. So I go back in the next day, June 17th, and I took out the queen. What I did is I used the newspaper method to merge the queen right split from hive number four to this colony. So the way the hive is structured at this time was I had two deep boxes a couple of layers of newspaper, just a couple of uh, pages, then the deep from hive four that had an active laying queen in it, and then a honey super on top. So this became quite a large hive. By June 23rd, the queen had been accepted. And I go in the colony and I find eggs, I find brood and I find my queen. Already they're building up much faster. It just seems way more active and healthy. And I take the feeder off. July 15th, go in again. There's my queen. There are eggs. Brood's looking really good. Then at three deeps and one honey super. The highest deep is so heavy that I have to take out half of the frames just to lift it. And I realise that I'm going to have to consolidate the brood frames down into one of the lower boxes. So I make a note to come back in in seven days, take any honey that can be extracted and make some more space for them. July 19th, I'm back in, I reorient the boxes, I moved the third deep to the bottom, the bottom box to second position, second to third. The bees were furious at me during this process. Um, they, they've always been a little reactive um, and this made it a lot worse. 
Uh, any kind of involved management with this Saskatraz colony has been uh, definitely something that makes them extremely angry. So this wasn't the most pleasant experience. But um, I did get to see before they all freaked out that they are showing interest in the honey super. I might have some frames that I could safely extract within one to three weeks, depending on how the flow continues. August 5th, queen, eggs, brood. Two deep frames are almost fully captive honey at this point. This colony is massive. Um, it's so huge and it's so populated that I actually started thinking that I could take one of the deeps and merge it with a captured swarm that I had started setting up. And I did a mite test at this time and I got one to 300. So that's really nice and low, did not have to treat. September 7th, the honey super, they seem to have lost interest in it again. The top deep is once again just packed with brood and honey and it's just too heavy to lift. Um, the middle deep is mostly brood and pollen with honey at the edges. Um, I don't actually get to inspect the bottom box at this time because having the hive open triggered robbing behavior and I needed to close things up as quickly as possible before things got really ugly. September 15th, I'm back in, I do a mite test, it's at 9 to 300, so that is exactly the treatment threshold. I apply Formic Pro, I take the robbing screen off, and this is also when I took one deep of brood and honey, and I merged it with hive number six. And obviously before I did this, I made sure that the queen was in a completely separate box and did not accidentally get shuffled around. September 30th, the Formic Pro comes off and I'm pleased to say that they look really good in there. They do not seem to have suffered any ill effects from the treatment. The population is big and the stores are looking pretty good. October 6th, I tilt the hive. I start feeding 2-1 sugar syrup. October 30th, I winterize. The mouse guard goes on, the feeder goes on, quilt box, and then they're wrapped. December 30th, this colony is boiling with bees. I posted a short video on my Instagram. It is just, they're just coming out ev all of the <laughs> holes. It's great. They seem very strong. Um, taking a peek in there, stores looked really good. Uh, on the feeder, it looked like they hadn't actually used a lot of the food I'd provided, but I added a little dry sugar just to make sure that they had enough. And they're still kind of pissy and reactive. Um, I actually, I don't usually do this, but I actually squished one of the girls because she would not leave me alone. She was just would not get away from my veil. And she ended up like, right by my ear on the veil. And all I could hear was her just angry, like buzzing as she desperately tries to sting me. And so I'm afraid that I wasn't in the mood for it. And I squished that girl. <laughs> Sorry, sweetheart, but um, I don't have time for it. As of January 19th of this year, the colony was still alive. And I have also seen, you know, continued activity on warm days. So fingers crossed, they seem to be going, getting through this winter quite well. So just as a quick recap, so hive number three started as my overwintered Ohio and Saskatraz mixed genetic colonies but I requeened them and I requeened using 
a a full Saskatchewan genetic queen. So now this colony is all Saskatchewan bees and they're pissy. (laughs) They're not my favourite to work with, but they seem pretty strong, so I will take it. So hive number four is what started as my Saskatraz nuke. So May 30th, this is the nuke that when I opened it up, it had multiple swarm cells with eggs already in them. So the first thing I did was I, when I was installing them, is I got rid of all those swarm cells and I made sure that they went into a Langstroth hive that had lots of comb ready to go. They do not have to worry about building comb. The queen can get in there and start laying to her heart's content. So as of May 30th, I was pleased to note that there were no new swarm cells. It's a really big population in this colony, so I gave them more empty frames to work with than my other colonies, and I started feeding them uh, syrup. June 9th, I go in, I see eggs, I see a nice brood pattern, I see my queen. Now, at this point, they've started making swarm cells again, but there's no eggs in them, so that's pretty good. But I also noticed they were making supersedia cells, and this was confusing because the queen is laying like a champ. So unless something's going on with her that I don't know as a human, but the bees know, I'm not really sure what's going on there. So I take a look and the supersedia cells have eggs in them. So at this point, I decided to take those frames out and make a nucleus colony. And I made a note in my journal that I must continue to monitor this Saskatraz colony closely to make sure that this swarming impulse doesn't continue and I end up losing this beautiful queen. So June 14th, they are building up so fast. There's lots of beautiful new wax, absolutely bursting with babies, and they're still making swarm cells. So I added a honey super with drawn comb to give them even more room. I consolidated all of the brood frames into the bottom box And then I put a medium box on with uh, empty comb, ready to go, and then two honey supers. And at this point, I start wondering if I need to consider splitting this colony. June 16th, loads of nectar coming in. And I do decide at this point that I need to split this colony. And I decide that I will merge the queen right half of the split to hive number three in order to requeen. So June 17th, I'm back out there to split the colony. So Saskatraz Queen, she is now in hive number three. And this hive, number four, is now queenless, but they have lots and lots of eggs in which they can use to raise their own queen. Now, at this point, what I did is the frames I had previously taken because they had supersedure cells with eggs in, I took those from this colony, I made a nuke. At this time, I decide I'm going to merge that nuke back to the queenless part of the split because those supersedure cells are, you know, much bigger now. The larva is growing. It would get them requeened faster if they will accept those cells. But to make sure I didn't risk those poor BB queens being murdered in their cells, I did the merge with the newspaper method again. 
So now this hive consists of a deep box, then some newspaper, and then a deep box with the supersedure cells in it. And I'm still feeding syrup because even though it was ginormous, I've now separated the colony. I want to make sure this queenless part of the split has everything they need to get through. June 24th, I go in there and what do I see? Little virgin queen just like wriggling around the place. Now, there are five queen, still, uh, queen cells that are still in place. And for me, that either means that the virgin queen has not yet killed her sisters. And or the virgin queen has not killed them because the colony is keeping her away from them because they want to swarm. I've taught previously, uh, Thomas Seeley does incredible work. And when I've gone through his books on uh, swarming and swarming impulse, you know, he talks about how it's not uncommon for a single colony to produce multiple swarms using freshly hatched virgin queens. So I'm kind of keeping an eye on them at this point. I want to make sure that I don't end up losing my beautiful newly hatched queen. I also take the opportunity to open the brood space a little bit more and I took a frame of eggs from hive number three and gave that to them just because I want to make sure that there's enough brood pheromones still that everyone's going to stay in place and hopefully not swarm. At this time I took the feeder off. June 27th, so it's just three days later, and I'm pleased to see that the remaining queen cells have now all been pulled down. So this is really, really good. I saw the virgin queen again. She's obviously their choice. It doesn't look like they're planning on swarming. And at this time, I added a honey super with empty frames so that their population could stay busy building wax. July 15th, I, <laughs> I noticed this as a confusing inspection today. So the bottom box consists of mostly brood frames. The middle box has eggs and some very small larvae, but the colony has built new queen cells in really weird places on the frame. And I also don't see the queen. The colony is also especially reactive on this day. And I'm very worried that something's happened with my new queen and I'm just confused about what's going on. So I tell myself I need to be back here in about a week. Well, I didn't get back in until July 31st and I was very pleased to find a queen right colony. I found eggs, I found brood and I found my queen. She's in the bottom box, she's laying up a storm, she looks like she was well mated. Now the hive is still reactive but it's not as bad um, I took off one deep frame of honey to extract at this point and give them a little bit more room. And I did a mite test, which was one to 300. So well below treatment threshold. In August, I made a little whoopsie. I know I did an inspection for this month. Um, I inspected all of the hives before my surgery, but I didn't write it down. So I don't know what I saw, or what I did. And that was a big whoopsie. September 7th, um, I needed to condense things down before winter. There's some empty frames kind of dotted throughout all of the boxes. But overall, you know, the population is looking really good. The stores are looking good. I actually was able to remove a uh, 
drone frame that was 99% capped and I fed those drones to my chickens who loved it. September 15th, I'm back in here. There's queen, there's eggs, there's brood. I took out empty frames. I condensed the colony down. I did a mite test. It was two to 300. So that's very, very good. And it's likely low because of the fact that they had that diminished brood period while they were raising a new queen. And I made a note that this colony smelled really, really good when I went in there. I don't know exactly what nectar they were storing, but apparently it was incredibly fragrant enough that I actually made a note of it. And I think that all colonies that are healthy smell good. So I don't know what it was, but apparently it was really, really good. October 6th, I tilt the hive. I start feeding 2-1 syrup and I took another frame of honey to extract and to free up a little bit of brood. October 30th, I winterize, so feeder on, quilt box on, mouse guard on, and uh, the wrap. December 30th, on that beautiful, unusually warm day when I go in, I check all the hives, and this is my second most active colony. So those Saskatraz genes really seem to be doing the trick here. Uh, the stores look pretty good, the population is looking good, I did add some additional dry sugar just because I want to make sure that they have more than enough. And as of January 19th, this colony was still alive. Fingers crossed, guys. I'm really excited about them. Now, hive number five. Here we go. So this was one of my Varroa sensitive hygiene nukes and eventually became a combination of Varroa-sensitive hygiene genetics with local Ohio genetics. So May 30th, I'm back in after the install of the nuke. I see eggs, I see brood, I see my queen. And this is the only colony that wasn't just sucking down all the syrup they could. And they were building up really nicely. June 9th, um, I opened them up and they immediately sounded loud. And it was the kind of loud that I've heard before in queenless colonies. So immediately I'm thinking, oh no, something has happened. At the very end of this inspection, I see the queen lying on the bottom board. So I gently scoop her up and I can see that she is really weak and she's missing a front leg. And all I can wonder is, did I accidentally roll her? during that inspection on the 30th and I want to say no because I found eggs so she was laying within the past three days and I kind of feel like usually if you roll a queen they die pretty fast maybe I'm wrong maybe she held on but yeah she'd been laying within the past three days um, and actually while I was inspecting her um, I literally was just holding her in my hand. She died. And um, I've got to admit, the response by the colony was really moving. So I gently put her down on top of a frame. And the worker bees just immediately came up to her, kind of almost balled around her, but not aggressively, very, very gently. Um, and just sort of started pulling her down into the hive. I've never seen anything like it before. I really didn't know how to feel about what I just witnessed, but 
the only positive I could say is that there were a lot of eggs available for this colony to make a new queen. So June 14th, I'm back in there and I'm really pleased because there's some big, beautiful queen cells. Four are capped and looking good. And I can also see that the workers, they're bringing in nectar. At this time, I consolidated the brood down into the bottom box, being very careful with the queen cells. And I am feeding syrup at this time for additional support, but they're going through it much slower than the other colonies are. June 17th, I just went in, topped up the syrup a little bit. June 23rd, I see a beautiful virgin queen. And I'm really pleased there's space in here once she's mated so she can lay straight away. And they still have brood to keep the workers calm. At this point, I removed the feeder because they really weren't using that much of it. June 27th, I checked on how much brood there was. And I decided to be on the safe side that I'd give them a frame from hive number two. And during this process, I saw the Virgin Queen again. July 13th, I'm back in and I have a Queen Wright colony. So this is a beautiful laying queen. Her pattern is gorgeous, just frame to frame, eggs and brood. And I start seeing capped honey at this time as well. So things really seem to have turned around. July 19th, I'm in there just kind of checking on the honey supers. There's a lot of capped honey, but sadly for me, they're on treated frames. So I have previously used treatments that are not safe for um, use when the honey is on, if you intend to eat that honey. I have marked these frames because that honey is fine for the bees. It's just not human safe, or at least it is not supposed to be human safe. So... I'm like, okay, there's a lot of honey. I can't have any of it, but at least these bees are going to be set up for the winter. So that's good. Um, I did a little bit of moving around of the frames so that the frames that are untreated, which will hopefully be ready to extract in a few weeks, are closest to the edges, uh, making it easier for me to remove them the next time I go in. July 31st, I'm back in, see my nice queen. I've got good brood, I've got eggs. The queen is laying in all three boxes at this point, so I did consolidate things down a little bit. August 11th, I've got eggs, I've got brood, I've got my queen. My honey super is almost full. This is almost all of what I will be leaving for them. This is their winter stores. I, I'm, I don't want to touch it. And I, I made a note, the colony was really cranky on this day, and I don't know why, but they were really mad at me, and I got in and out as quickly as I could. I did do a mite test and I got zero to 300, which again is very likely because of the decreased brood population because of the loss of the original queen. September 7th, they are really busy. The population looks great, really pleased with the honey stores and they're less cranky. So that made it much more fun for me. I did add an additional honey super at this point, which is sort of optimistic, but I just wanted to make sure that they had space and they had room. September 15th, I see my queen. There's still eggs, there's brood. They were super aggressive, so I kept inspection to a minimum. 
I might test it again and it was four mites to 300 bees. So again, below threshold. October 6th, I tilted the hive. I start feeding to one heavy syrup and I took one deep frame of honey for myself. October 30th, I winterized. So there's the feeder, the quilt box, the mouse guard and the insulation wrap. And on December 30th, I go in and check on them and the colony is active. The stores look good, but I bump it up with some dry sugar. As of the 19th of January of this year, they are still alive and fingers crossed that they're still in there making it through. Hive number six. Yes, hive number six. So on July 13th, I was out in the apiary and I noticed activity at a nuke box that I had just left out on uh, one of my stands. And there was enough coming and going activity that I open it up and inside I found a small colony with a fully laying queen. Now she's a small queen, which can sometimes be an issue, but her laying pattern was actually really good. Um, So I gave them some frames with comb and I started feeding them. And I basically just told myself that um, I would see what they would do. Now, by September 15th, I moved this colony into um, a deep box and I added one deep of bees, brood and stores from hive number three. I decided not to mite test because the population was so small. I mean, not dangerously small, but small enough that I didn't think it was advisable and I decided to risk it for a biscuit. October 6th, I tilt this hive, I feed it to one syrup. On the 30th, it's winterized. And then on December 30th, I go in and um, I find out that they're active. They've barely eaten any of the fondant that I gave them. So I just give them a tiny bit of dry sugar. And when I look down, it actually seemed like the colony as a whole was still quite low down in the bottom box. So fingers crossed, that's a good sign. I didn't want to break the propolis seals between the boxes. I, You know, winter's long, they need that. Uh, I am a little worried, I guess, but as of the 19th, um, this colony is, uh, is still going, still alive. So that is my very long year in review of what I did in my apiary and I want to share a couple of thoughts or I suppose a summary. So going through my bee journal and breaking things down like I've just done hive by hive was a really awesome learning experience. Um, I can see for instance that I worked the nucleus colonies maybe a little too much in the spring because I was anxious about my upcoming trip to Canada and having to leave them alone for that time. And then I returned with COVID, so I fell behind on my inspections. And then I forgot to add updates for things I did in August because of, I'm just gonna blame it on my surgery and just being stressed out leading up to that and then being in recovery. So ideally I would have tested every hive for mites in July, August and September. Instead, 
for some of these colonies, I only tested twice or I tested in August but forgot to write things down. And I didn't, I suppose I can't say that this was a huge issue because based on the mic counts that I did get in September, it seems like I applied the Formic Pro treatment at the right time. That said, I consistently ignored a suspicion that had been developing since the previous year that my top bar hive mic counts weren't accurate. And basically what had been troubling me is that I've noticed when going into my top bar hive that the nurse bees are much more spread out among the frames. So as a reminder, if you are going into mic test, you want to go into the brood box. You make sure your queen is somewhere safe and set aside and you want to get a sample predominantly of nurse bees. And the reason why is that the mites are doing their breeding in the cells. Who spends the most time in the brood nest that isn't the queen? The nurse bees, because they're there taking care of the eggs and the larva. And so they have the most exposure to the mites and therefore can give us a more accurate reading. Now, when I go into my Langstroth's colonies, I can usually go in identify my brood nest and the frames of just swarming with nurse bees and yes there can be some foragers or house bees or whatever like adult workers in there but generally speaking I'm getting a sample predominantly of nurse bees but in my top bar hive there are less nurse bees per frame for reasons that I don't understand I don't know if this is common for top bar hives. I don't know if this is unique to my hive, the way I manage my hive, the genetics of the bees that I've had in this hive. I don't know. But I really was worrying that I was getting too many adult bees versus nurse bees. And I kept on telling myself, no, like, I've never read about this. I've never heard about this before. You're being silly. Don't worry about it. But. I test this colony this year. I, as you saw, I had very low levels of mites according to my samples. And then this colony dies midwinter due to a massive mite infestation. So I have decided that moving forward, I am going to continue to test using the alcohol wash method because it's important to me to have a record of this and because I want to be more mindful about which frames I'm taking, if I can note a percentage of nurse bees to worker bees, that would be helpful. But regardless of what my mite testing comes back as, I'm going to do a full treatment in August or September with oxalic acid regardless of what I get. So I don't care if my mite test comes back, that's for my own knowledge moving forward but I'm going to treat them when they're mostly broodless after they've raised their um, winter bees I'm going to give them a treatment of oxalic acid and I'm really hoping that this will mean that my next colony makes it this is you know the second year that I have failed to keep 
a colony alive in that style of hive. And it, it sucks so much being able to look back and say, if I had just done an oxalic acid vaporization at this point in time, I could have saved this colony. And you might be wondering, why didn't you then? And I know I go on about it a lot, but I really don't like to treat unless I feel I have to. So I don't treat prophylactically. I don't have an attitude of, well, all colonies have mites, so just treat on a schedule and you'll deal with them. Because my concern is mite resistance. And we're already encouraged to switch up our mite treatments each year and throughout the year so that we don't end up with a situation we've had before where a miticide stops working because the mites evolve so fast that they evolve to a point where the treatment doesn't affect them. And that's why I personally don't like to do prophylactic treatments. But I also have to learn from what my colonies teach me. And if for some reason, whether it's my error or some natural circumstance of the top bar hive, I am not getting accurate mite counts, then it is responsible for this hive for me to treat on a schedule to make sure that I'm not missing anything. Because it's also important to keep in mind that there's a difference between me having one hive, one colony that I treat prophylactically compared to all my colonies that I treat prophylactically. So this is a new thing for me moving forward. And I'm really hoping I can get to the bottom of it, that I see more success and that please, please, please let me get a colony through winter in a top bar hive. I really want to. (laughs) So keep your fingers crossed for me, please. I also realised going through my bee journal that I started beekeeping in 2019. So this is my fourth year going into my fifth. And looking back, I can objectively see how much I've learned, how my instincts have improved, and how I'm more confident about making decisions for the health of each of my colonies. That said, if anyone asks me, Gemma, do you consider yourself to be a good beekeeper? I feel like I'd respond with, um, I don't know, maybe? Because I believe my intentions are good. I do have a solid understanding of bee biology and colony health, but every loss feels like an avoidable failure. And I get it, I understand that I'm at the mercy of local weather, forage, mite infestation levels, and apiary location, but I do take every loss personally. Now, the one silver lining is that with every colony loss, I really try and learn something, and I feel that I always have. Keeping a bee journal is really such an important tool for this. I mean, it's right up there with a veil and a hive tool. You know, if people said top three, veil, hive tool, some record, whether it's a physical journal or an online journal or a phone recording, you've got a journal. 
Because being able to go back and read what I saw, what I did, how things turned out, etc., is just so valuable. In fact, it's invaluable. And so I hope if there's one thing that anyone can take from what I share here, it's make sure you keep a record of what you're doing in your hives and when. And remember to record things like, um, I, I didn't want this episode to get too long and it's already pretty long. So I didn't say, for instance, you know, May 3rd, temperature was this, wind was this, etc. But that's what I write down in my journal. So I like to go in, I mark the date, the temperature, the time I'm in there, and if there's low to high winds. I also like to make notes, as you saw, of temperament. So this is invaluable because it can help me learn about a colony. I've had some colonies who, if there's a threat of rain, they are miserable to work with, but sweet as baby lambs the rest of the time. As you saw in this previous year, I had some very reactive bees to wind. Even a level of wind that wasn't bothering other colonies caused these ones to be quite aggressive. I also noticed that my Saskatraz genetics seemed more reactive than I've had experience with before and so on and so forth. And it just really helps to have that record. You get to look back on it. You can learn something. And um, it's just it's just a really great tool. And it's also really nice when it's like the middle of winter and it's snowing outside and it's freezing cold and you're worrying about your chickens getting frostbite that you can sit down with this journal and it's like being back in the spring and summer and I can... I can see the bees, I can see what I'm describing, I can smell the hives again. It's just uh, kind of magical. So that's what I have for you. Um, thank you for sticking with me. This was a really long episode, but I really did want to share with everyone um, what was going on with my bees. You know I love to talk about my bees. So that's where I am. Um, moving forward, I didn't plan a huge amount for this coming year. So I did order another package of New World Carniolan bees with that marked queen because I was so delighted with the one that I had last year and I really want to have another shot at doing it right. Uh, whether I put this package into the top bar hive or not, I have not yet decided. We will have to see. Otherwise, I have not pre-purchased any nucleus colonies. So fingers crossed that the majority of my Langstroths continue to make it through because otherwise I might be scrambling a little bit to get bees. But I'm cautiously optimistic about my current hives and Hartville honeybees were selling nukes uh, relatively late into the spring last year. So I feel like I might be able to get away with it and risk it for a biscuit. So that's where I am with my bees. Um... I can't say I have anything else in particular planned, but I will say that I now have been working with bees long enough that if I wanted to do a um, master beekeeping program to be certified, I can do so. There's a experience, like a yearly experience limit. I think it's three or four years. Um, and so I might start looking into that, seeing what classes are on locally, seeing what's involved in the process. And obviously anything that I learn, I would love to share with you all. As for the podcast, 
I'm going to try and do something every week, at least for a while, because I want to get back into the habit of recording. And also I am letting some of the pressure off. So I've always been very into education. I really want to share. I want to educate. And that's a lot of work because a lot of these subjects are new to me. And even subjects that aren't new to me, I want to make sure I'm not just talking a whole load of rubbish that is not helpful. I want to fact check what I think I know. And so it ends up being a lot of work, a lot of writing, a lot of recording, a lot of editing, and then it just feels overwhelming. Something I would really like to do moving forward is I'm going to be doing a series of episodes called Farm Stories. And these are just random stories of things that are happening on my homestead. They're probably going to be much shorter, like 30 minutes or less. And it will be about various things. Like I've already written some. So I have um, some stories about one of my hens in particular and the way she interacts with our rooster. I have some uh, information on frostbite in chickens and experience that I had with it over this winter with my hen cracker. I'm going to have an episode on barn cats slash my stray cats and how I got involved in my trap, neuter and release program and how that's going. And just generally things like that. There's always something happening here and I want to share it with you all. And I think it's a good way for me to get into the habit of recording every week. So I hope you'll stick around for that. I hope you'll share your own farm stories. I love connecting with everyone. And um, as always, I will put my website link into the episode description. So if you want to read anything, go back and read anything that I've discussed, it will all be there. I also have some photos. As always, there's contact information if you need to reach out to me. And my Instagram is where I'm most active. So if you want to interact with me on social media, Instagram is probably where you're going to find me. And that's it. So thank you so much for listening. I hope that you had a great deal of success with your bees last year and that they're all coming through winter for you. And I am so excited to start again in the spring. And I hope you will join me for that experience. So thanks again. And as always, remember, hug your hens and then wash your hands. Thank you so much. Talk soon. Bye bye.